Welcome to the Philia Podcasts. We are the daughters of those women who came before us. It is our absolute honour to have met so many incredible women fighting for the liberation of us all. Our role at Philia is to amplify the voices of those women via the Philia Conference and these podcasts. Please take from them what you can. In sisterhood and in solidarity, the Philia team. My name is Heather Brunskill Evans, and today I'm interviewing Hussam Mahmoud for Philia, a podcast. So, Hussam, you describe yourself as a women's rights campaigner, public lecturer, and a co-founder of the Culture Project. Before we talk about these things, I just want to let the listener know that I have heard you give a public lecture, and you were very, very interesting and engaging, and I also thought it might be useful to let the listener know that we know each other a little bit um, personally. Kuzan, I wonder whether you could tell the listener a little bit about your own personal background, your experiences. Yes, thank you very much, uh, Heather, for this uh, description and glad to be speaking again uh, here. Uh, Well, basically, I'm a Kurdish woman from Iraqi Kurdistan. I grew up I was born in Iraqi Kurdistan and I grew up there and I came to the UK as a political refugee in the 1990s. And since then, I've been living in London, working here and being politically active in many in different fronts, basically. And my major concern was for women's rights in Iraq and Kurdistan and the wider Middle East, of course, but also for diaspora women. Um, I mean, for uh, women of my own generation and for the second generation as well of Kurdish background or Middle Eastern backgrounds who come to the UK or to the Europe, still dealing with a lot of uh, problems and violence against women, including domestic violence and lots of other Uh, different forms of violence. So I've been uh, politically active uh, for the past at least 20 years and I'm still quite active and I would like to continue this struggle and then hopefully we inspire many more generations so that they never cease basically to give up on fighting for, for women's rights. So was there something in particular about your own experiences as a child and as a teenager before you came to this country? that that fired you up to fight for women's rights? Yeah, of course, there are so many things, Heather. First of all, um, I grew up under Saddam's regime. So that was one of the most vicious dictatorship of the 20th century. I mean, I don't need to go into details about it. I think people know enough about, um, you know, the violence that uh, the regime was practicing against the citizens at that moment of time, but of, but more particularly against Kurdish people in Iraq, from the chemical bombardment, from the uh, genocide, whereby almost 200,000 people were, uh, you know, um, killed, including babies. And we still recover, um, you know, mass graves. Just recently, uh, a couple of more mass graves were recovered, and at least one of them, um, there were almost 100 women and children, including one-year-old babies. And this is the kind of government that thought Kurdish people were a danger to its um, regime. I mean, what's a one-year-old baby what kind of danger babies pose to a to a huge vicious uh, you know military regime like Saddam could could have so i grew up in such a, you know time very difficult timing politically speaking socially speaking so there was a state violence ongoing continuously 
at all levels and all and of course within that there was um social problems there were uh, domestic violence generally speaking in society there were violation of women's rights of human rights at a large scale generally speaking but because of the larger political problems a uh, very little attention was given to women's rights and to all kinds of violence that the state and the families were practicing against women so i grew up in that environment and of course um my family were heavily political and they were up in arms against the regime so that made our life even harder um you know there were you know i remember my mom was always worried about us being arrested by the regime and being imprisoned and tortured and raped in prison so this was the kind of situation i grew up as a um child as a teenager and i still remember those really dark days and uh you know growing up in a political family uh, taking up stands and not you know keeping silent against what the regime was practicing against people that all kind of gave me a lot of inspiration to continue from what they did basically but more specifically fighting for women's rights because i could see women being disappeared they were imprisoned or they were killed or they were hanged or they were even killed by their own families for reasons of so-called honor but people were not talking about it so there was a lot already you know from my own childhood and teenagehood growing up in a society that was so open to all kinds of violence because we had a dictatorship and within that context really there are a lot of other forms of violence that you know that becomes a norm a way of life because the main focus is on the state violence there um so that was a very um heavy kind of era that i had to witness unfortunately yes you know as you're speaking i was thinking that in such political situations what is happening at the level of sex-based violence often gets overshadowed by the immediacy and the intensity and the horror of of state violence and it's interesting that i think that what you're saying is at the time even when you were there you were also conscious that maybe other people weren't so conscious that in fact the violence was somehow directed towards women as as a as a class of people and that mixed somehow with the culture which was already established which would have been somewhat patriarchal exactly i mean um you know iraqi society or kurdish society like any other society in the world is highly patriarchal and of course tribalist there are tribalist norms and values still in place that mainly affect women and there's also religion the religion of islam and its sharia law and uh, its interpretations as well as various political parties that they still rely on islam and sharia so that that all made women's lives much more harder and to this date as well uh, but the, uh, what i am trying to say is in the 1970s onwards um, late 70s until 1990s for those 20 years where i grew up basically there was so much state violence and terror against our people against kurdish people that we were so busy and so basically um worried about uh, saving ourselves from state imprisonment genocide chemical bombardment random killing and random disappearances that there wasn't time even to think about yes 
what is women's rights, what is children's rights, what's human rights in general. Although there was a huge leftist political movement, there was nationalist movement, there were all kinds of political movements against Saddam's regime, but really their major focus wasn't about women per se. Even there were women involved in those movements, the major uh, political aim was how to liberate the society from the dictatorship. And that slogan, that aim, basically override uh, the claim for women's rights and so on within those discourses. But uh, on a society level, of course, there were honor killings. There was FGM, female genital mutilation. There was beating of kids and, you know, domestic violence and lots of other, even at school, you know, teachers were beating up children for being late or for not doing the homework. There was like... As I said, the, the violence within the Ba'ath Party, within Saddam's dictatorship re- regime, actually transmitted to all corners of society, in the schools, in the government institutions, uh, in the administration of the society, so that living under dictatorship really can leave any society for decades to come with a lot more violence even after the fall of regime and this is what we are witnessing in both Iraq and Kurdistan and because of of um, new trends in violence as well and new ways of of you know controlling the family the women and now, for example, the dictatorship is gone, but there are lots of other tribalist and Islamist and conservative political parties who are actually, you know, who all have their own worldview about what women's rights is or not and how women to be controlled, their sexuality, um, their marriages and divorces and even life and death. It's all they all have their own particular program Uh, and this is what makes it very difficult to argue for one particular single uh, issue there are multiple issues and multiple layers of violence in that society basically and so with your um campaigning are you campaigning for the diaspora as it were of Iraqi Kurds or are you campaigning to bring about change on the ground in Kurdistan as it were it's very linked because as a Kurdish person, we don't we are always stateless wherever we are, basically, generally speaking. Uh, you might not believe it. Like for the first time I had a citizenship, it was a British citizenship, although I was born in Iraqi Kurdistan and we were meant to be Iraqis, but the government always treated us as a second class citizen. So as a woman, officially uh, we are second class citizens in our societies according to the laws and to a lot of norms and values in those societies. Uh, But also the state was treating Kurdish people as second class citizens anyway, as a threat to the government, as a threat to the Iraqi so-called borders and so on. So we were a subject to be... Uh, we were human beings or some sort of aliens or danger to be contained, to be limited, to be deleted, to be uh, killed and subjected to genocide and annihilation. And so that was the government's policy for so many years, basically. Imagine as a woman that you have to negotiate for your rights and identity, but yet within a, a context that actually you are you are a stranger as it is as a Kurdish person. So let alone as a woman, you are twice a stranger, you are twice stateless and you are twice, you know, being um, discriminated against. So even when we come to Europe, um, there are a lot of other issues that we have to 
uh, go through basically. And for me, being a Kurdish woman, wherever I am, it's just like, um, I feel like a, a nomad, <laughs> somebody who don't belong to anywhere, but also belongs to everywhere as well. As a woman, uh, probably one of the best quotes of Virginia Woolf is like, as a woman, I have no country, basically. But probably... Uh, that quote might be different in my case because as a Kurdish woman, as it is, I have no country and I've always been denied that right and the right to be a woman, to be Kurdish. So these are all very complex issues in terms of uh, even as a leftist, when you deal with it, as much as we reject, you know, identity politics and identities and so on. But when you are surrounded by fascists and dictatorships and all they know is how to basically get rid of you, you will have to, uh, as Hannah Arendt, the uh, German philosopher says, when they attack you as a Jew, you have to defend yourself as a Jew. So this is what probably we have been doing so far in, in Iraqi Kurdistan or in other parts of Kurdistan as well, in Syria, in Iraq and Turkey and in Iraq, we always have to defend ourselves as a curse, basically. Wow. Um, is there a feminist movement in Kurdistan, in Iraqi Kurdistan, or in a strange way, is feminism as, in a sense, rejected there uh, in, in a way that it's still rejected in the West, as it were? I see. The women's rights movement or the women's question, generally speaking, in Iraq and Iraqi Kurdistan, strictly speaking, were more part of political parties. There were many women organizations and there are still, but they are made by the political parties, which are male dominated and patriarchal. So all these women's organizations, they don't define themselves as feminists. Uh, They are basically, um, they have, you know, they follow their own political parties, you know, agenda. Of course, there are other women organizations as well. But as far as I know, so many of them do not identify themselves as feminist or to be working within the framework of feminism because um, because of so many issues and because of the political situation there and because of so much pressure being identifying yourself as a feminist brings a lot of enemies to, to you. Um, I remember many years ago when I started talking about feminism and writing about feminism and feminist critique, um, so many people started attacking me and criticizing me, including women from the women organizations. They were saying, you know, this is not good for our society. Feminism doesn't work with um is not compatible with Iraqi or Kurdish women's issues and so on and so forth. But of course, there were several of us. We didn't give up. We continued to write and advocate and host seminars and conferences and so on. But I would say happily that so many women and younger generation nowadays, they do uh, read feminist literature. They they want to know. And, and for them, it is important uh, to know what feminist um, what point of view and what is the feminist worldview about lots of different political, social and economic issues that happens in Kurdish society. So I would say it is really, um, you know, rising and it is feminism, I would say, in the next few years. It will have a very good base in Kurdistan and among the new generations, specifically speaking, because um, every time I go there, I meet a lot of young people who are very well read and who want to follow up with what's going on in the world and what's going on with feminism and feminist thinkers and ideas. So it, there's a lot of hope there. Um, and also a lot of men, you know, surprisingly, they they 
look at feminism as a very important uh, school of, um, you know, thought. And uh, I, I get contacted by a lot of, um, you know, university students, artists and so on who would like to basically have that kind of uh, feminist, uh, you know, point of view about art, about literature and so on, which is really amazing. I mean, with Culture Project, one of the things that we do is to kind of um, promote feminist critique and world of view worldview about lots of things in society, about politics, about literature, about cultural productions. And we have a lot of young people involved who are really amazingly, um, you know, involved in these questions about gender uh, awareness as well. Um, uh, so they do a lot of art and art, you know, work and performances that has a very good gender dimension as well. So these are all, I would say, um, within the last few years, uh, so many of us have been working very in a very organized way in order to kind of uh, introduce this new way of thinking about feminism and, and gender theory as well. So, Hussein, were you referring to the culture project there when you said so many young women are now involving themselves through art and literature and so on? Is it the culture project you were referring to or was it just generally speaking Yes, when we first launched Culture Project, it was very new uh, for people to see what's the relation of culture with feminism and gender, because that was the main idea, is to gendering the cultural productions in Kurdistan, songs, folklore, uh, literature, poetry, uh, and lots of our writers started criticizing uh, from a feminist uh, point of view uh, how different lyrics and poetry and literature is actually demonizing women and and relegating them to the, you know, basically normal social tasks and so on, um, domestic tasks, whereas the society have changed. And yes, and through these writings, a lot of young people started contacting us and they thought these writings and this awareness was so vital and so needed um, because there's a lack of this knowledge. And then for those of us, uh, who have an experience of both worlds, West and East. So we try to link these um, experiences and to, to basically try to transmit it through writing, through workshops. And we produce a magazine in Kurdistan as well called Culture Magazine. Uh, we, we produce a lot of important essays and critical writings as well. Uh, and we have a, a huge section about feminism and gender. So each... In each collection, we have several essays about feminism and gender relating to different subjects, basically. So this is how we try to spread that knowledge. And yes, we have, I'm happy to say, like there are a lot of young people involved with Culture Project, but also independently outside uh, at universities. And they want to, to find out more about this as well. So did you conceive of Culture Project or... It was happening. When did it start? Yeah, it was in um, 2016. Actually, it was myself and Ismail Hamalau, um, who is a novelist um, and my partner as well, uh, and also another friend, Miran Abraham, who's also a novelist and a writer based in Holland. And we were just talking about what we can do, um, something joint and something a bit different. Uh, so we, we came up with with a culture magazine, a, a digital magazine online. The 
then we started the print and then we thought about a project itself um, to kind of contain everything and then to have an um, English digital magazine and Kurdish digital magazine as well as a print magazine in Kurdistan. So then it was an idea from three people, but now it's far more, you know, it's it's many more people who are involved. And I would say, like, I'm so happy that especially the younger generation are so involved uh, through writing um, and advocacy and a lot of different forms and debates and um, you know, so many times I go back to Kurdistan and with my friends and we host lots of seminars and debates and conferences and take part in different activities um, to elaborate on our our point of view about cultural project and the importance of feminism in those areas as well. I imagine you're something of a hero when you go back. <laughs> Thank you. It's uh, it's interesting. I mean, I would say like Kurdish society is really very open for change. And it is, uh, there's a beautiful thing within our society. And that's why we can never give up on it is people always want to find out more. They always want to progress. And but unfortunately, there's always a war on on our doorstep, you know, we just there's ISIS attacked Kurdistan. They took all these women as sex slaves. They killed and they subjected the Kurdish Yazidis, you know, into genocide and lots of. So there's always some war, some kind of war on our doorstep. And that pushes us back, you know, every time we take a step ahead, then. But we never give up. And this is the secret of our uh, existence and, and survival, really, I would say. I, I, I was thinking as you were speaking, I don't know how it is that you just don't fall into despair because you just move forward and then something else happens. Yeah, I agree. Yes, I agree. It's not easy. So many times, like with our friends, when we work, we just say like, OK, let us plan something. But then something happens. You know, imagine when you don't have routine in society, when you don't have things going normally and then anything can happen within a month and within two months is just so difficult to plan as well but it's important not to give up because if I give up on someone else and someone else then it will be really hard to do anything and to achieve anything in that society and I think there's a huge number of wonderful people both in diaspora and back in Kurdistan who always, you know, do something new. They come up with an initiative, with an idea, and just to build and just to progress. And this is what gives hope to all of us. And as it is, we cannot be a bystander, basically. Yes. So apart from Culture Project, I know that you've led campaigns against the rape and abduction of Iraqi women and the imposition of Islamic Sharia law in Kurdistan. Are you still involved in those campaigns? Yes. Do they alongside Culture Project? Yeah, we have, I mean, I have campaigned on a lot of issues, basically, and then what I thought is just campaigning against one single issue, which is violence against women through direct killing or through honor killing and FGM and so on. It might be it's important and so many people are doing it. But also, I think we had from what we thought with friends as well. And that's why we launched Culture Project is we need to also uh, analyze the roots of these problems 
and to actually challenge the kind of cultural productions as well that reproduces and promotes this kind of backward thinking about women, this kind of uh, demonization of women and uh, keeping them in the traditional uh, gender norms. So we thought that we should um, go further. We should also um, theoretically write and debate uh, about the, the root causes of violence against women, of gender apartheid and lots of other things that is happening in our society. Uh, so that's why we went on and then we produced this magazine and and I'm also working on a book. It's a collection of Kurdish women's stories written by themselves only without any, without me questioning them or sending them questions or something just to, to let them free and to write and express themselves. Because for a very long time, we hear only men writing about themselves, writing their glorious days of being a freedom fighter and so on and so forth. But we have so many women who have amazing stories, but nobody knows about it. So we come up in Culture Project with this idea as well to collect women's stories. And now I'm happy to say that we have a, a book ready to be published both in Kurdish and in English as well in the UK. So which contains uh, stories of Kurdish women from all parts of Kurdistan and also from diaspora, how Kurdish women are struggling and how despite all the problems and all the wars and all the suppression, they come out as... Um, as a survivor and they love life and that love of life make them continue and to achieve and and to actually be um you know in the forefront of, of the struggles for women's rights for secularism uh for independence for so many things and this is um hopefully next year the english version will be out and then uh, you could see it but there are amazing stories that these women wrote about themselves that nobody ever heard it before even themselves all of them was the first time that they wrote about themselves, which is really a great initiative. And this is the kind of things we try to do. Campaigning is also we are doing, but I thought we have to expand the kind of activism and expand the, the kind of methods of working on these issues as well. Fantastic. I, I suppose it comes down to that um, sense that uh, women have to find their own voices. And once they, once they find them, then that's very powerful and transformatively for them as individuals, but also politically for women to hear other women's stories. Exactly. So um, I think you're, you're speaking at Philia in October. Yes. That's right. What is the panel that you're... We are trying to speak about Kurdish women's rights and alternatives because... As you know, Kurdish women have been in the media for a while, especially since the Rojava revolution and the fight against ISIS and the you know, amazing role that Kurdish women played in that battle against ISIS and how they were both support and skepticism as well from the West. Some feminists or people generally thought women shouldn't be taking up arms. Others were thought, like myself, I am for the armed struggle of women because basically when you are attacked by ISIS, um, there is no way to negotiate with these people and they don't know negotiation and peace and so on. So in order to protect yourself from being taken as a sex slave, you just have to take up arms. So from that, but also 
that's not the only struggle that Kurdish women have. There are other struggles through art, through music, through literature, through political struggles that in that seminar we would like to bring to light and that to introduce uh, European um, feminists um, to the different debates that we have within the Kurdish context, basically, about women's rights and our different alternatives as well, because some believe in feminism, some don't, and some believe in armed struggle, and some others don't. So we would like to bring to light those varieties of debates within our struggle as well. Yes, fascinating. <laughs> um, okay, Hussein, I think we've probably come to the natural end of the conversation. We don't want to give too much away, sure. because we to talk about this um, in October. So I, I really look forward to um, meeting up with you again and um, coming to your talk. And um, best of luck. Thank you very much, Heather. Thank you for this interview and looking forward to meeting you as well at the Filio conference.